You are entering the Freedom Hut. Dr. Fauci wants a federal stay-at-home order for everyone. Plus, Governor Cuomo says that he is going to use executive orders to take ventilators from places where they need them here in New York. A Navy captain is relieved of command of an aircraft carrier for good reason. What does that mean exactly? We'll get into that and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, great. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. At the same time, we're also racing to get relief to American workers and small businesses, as you know. I want to remind small business owners across America that the Paycheck Protection Program is launching tomorrow. Nearly $350 billion in loans will be available to small businesses, including sole proprietors. These loans are up to 100 percent forgivable as long as employers keep paying their workers. Got to take care of your workers. Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show, everybody. Here in the middle of New York City, behind uh, behind pandemic lines, beyond, behind. I kind of combine words there. Here we are in the midst of you know, the, the worst viral pandemic to hit the United States in 100 years. <clears throat> it is interesting, isn't it, that just from a historical perspective, it really has been about 100 years since we faced something quite like this. And now we're trying to figure out what the heck to do. Every day the plan gets changed, my friends. Every day we're finding out more and more about listen to the experts, maybe a comforting mantra in the midst of uh, a moment of panic, a moment of national panic that a lot of people are going through right now. But the experts are figuring it out as they go along. Some people are starting to feel like some of the experts are making it up as they go along. They simply don't know. We'll get into what I mean by that. Not, Not just on the virus, also on the economy, also on a whole bunch of things. We are in the early stage of this. So a lot of the, the decisions that feel like they are necessary right now, we will look back on and I think question much more openly. But the dynamic shifted very quickly to you. You either think that Dr. Fauci is the one voice that must be told, uh, must be listened to on all things, no matter what you are told. Or if you have any problem with any of this, you're a terrible person who wants to see everyone die. That's at least the the dominant consensus media, uh, liberal and really center and even right leaning narrative that you're he- hearing from a lot of people these days. Look, I, I've been in quarantine for weeks at this point now. This is week three, I suppose, of only leaving my apartment for absolute necessity, being alone, not interacting with other human beings. Okay. So I, I think that because we all are going through some some variation of this, isn't it to be expected that we're going to want to ask some questions and know really what's going on? Aren't we supposed to be able to ask what the heck uh, what the heck the end game is here? <clears throat> so this is, I think, something that is going to become increasingly problematic. That there is a there is a an incentive for many people to shut down debate, to shut down discussion about this. One, because they're scared Two, because they don't want to seem like they were wrong and foolhardy in the early stages of this. And three, 
some people are already telling us. I mean, they're being open about it. They want to use this as an opportunity. Gavin Newsom has said this. Others are beginning to say that this Nancy Pelosi's entire M.O. with the delay of the much needed aid package now, which we're seeing with this small business owner lifeline that's being put out. We are being told that they can they can handle this. They can figure this out. I would want to know why exactly we should believe that this is going to go smoothly. Does anyone really have a lot of faith that the government's going to be able to execute this plan properly and that they know what they're doing over the long over the long run? I guess you could say that there's no alternative here. And, and look, I, I'm just I want this to be, dare I say, a safe space. You could call it a quarantine for open investigation and ideas and the exchange thereof. So just for uh, for ground rules sake, I'll tell you, listen to the experts. Do what the experts are telling you, okay? I don't want anyone taking any any risks, any undue risks. We can just listen to the experts. I'm going to ask questions here, though, and you can choose whether or not to think that these are valid questions, of course. You can agree with me or disagree, but, but yes, no, listen, listen to the experts because they, they know so much. What exactly have they known so far? I, I would wonder... In what way were we better prepared because of, let's say, the CDC and the NIH and the World Health Organization, not to mention any other government body, elected government body in this country that you want to cite? In what way were we better prepared for this two months ago than if we had just woken up a week ago and just gotten crushed by a virus that is much more contagious and much more lethal than than we had recognized? Where were, where were the, the excellent preparations made by those bodies? I, I, I feel like all of a sudden government accountability is no longer something anybody really wants to talk about. And isn't that concerning? Because the government, while it seems to be making very big mistakes, is demanding a greater to be a degree of obedience and more sway and more uh, power over our lives than any time in my life. This blows the war on terror stuff out of the water in terms of the government's seizure of authority for itself. I mean, Dr. Fauci yesterday had said, and look, I I think he's a good man. I think he's doing the best he can. I got no problem at all with Dr. Fauci. I'm not saying that, but he's a doctor. You know, he's he's not a, you know, here's a perfect example of what it is when you deal with a doctor. Uh, You know, I I remember I was in an allergist's office years ago. Okay, this is going to seem stupid, but it'll make sense in a second. I was in an allergist's office maybe 10 years ago, and I kept going through this list. And I said uh, a list of foods that I thought because I had had a rash all over my face and it came on very suddenly and it happened a few times. And I was like, well, here's what I think it could be. And the allergist is looking at me and he's like, well, you know, we can keep, you know, we can keep doing this testing that we do but you didn't come back with any test for allergies he's like or you could just separate out the different things and and what you ate and eat them one by one and see what you're allergic to that way but i can't tell you to do that because wink wink i can't tell you that it's worth the risk to do that 
Now, doctors, especially in this country, and so, of course, I ended up eating it. I found out I was allergic to, uh, uh, to a certain kind of sweetener, and it caused a rash on my face. Okay, fine. You know, end of story. Not a great story, Buck, except this is the mentality of medical personnel in the country, understandably, given two things. One, their area is health. That's what they focus on. That's their thing. How do we, how do we keep you from being sick? Okay? How many of you have been told by a doctor at some point, you know, if you're going to go out there on a, on a bike or anything else, you know, you, you better wear a helmet. Now, they're right. You are taking a risk. But how many doctors have you ever heard say, nah, don't wear a helmet. Don't worry about it. It's because their mentality is focused on your, your health and safety and th- your own conclusion about whether you want to, uh, you know, be on your skateboard when you're 18 looking like a nerd or not. I'm just, well, I, by the way, I'm pro helmet, even though my head's too big for them. But I'm just saying this is... This is what I think a lot of people are forgetting in the conversation, that doctors are not czars for all American life right now. They're giving us the information that they have, which, by the way, is imperfect and in many cases has been wrong. As they've admitted, I'm just, these are just facts. I'm just spewing facts right now or spewing truth. That should probably be uh, one of the taglines for the show. Buck is spewing truth. But the, the, the Fauci situation here is such that he's saying... We should cons- we, we, the president should order a national lockdown. And I sit here and go, OK, even if that would be good for our health. And, and I haven't even gotten into how doctors because of lawyers, because of tort lawyers and our tort law, rather, and, and all the different ambulance chasing and hyper hyper litigious nonsense in our society. Doctors do have to order overly cautious tests. Doctors do. You know, there is a mentality that creeps in over time of your, you know, the medical advice has to be as close to zero risk as you possibly can or else or else you're you're subject to, you know, real li- real liability. In the Fauci scenario here, here's he's saying that he would like the president to give a national stay-at-home order. And I sit here and I say, "Okay, um, I, I have big questions. I still have big questions about this flatten the curve strategy. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying don't do it. I just want to understand more. And I'm already very tired of people who every time some of us ask a question, ask a relevant question about this, we are shouted down for you know, wanting death. And do you realize what's happening, people? Yes, I realize what's happening very much so, not just in New York City, across the country right now. And yes, to patients, but also to all of us. If we're all in this, don't we all get to have a discussion about what's going on? I know we're in a republic. People like to say, you know, aren't we a democracy after all? But that is where we are, right? We're still in America. Can't we talk about this? Fauci is saying a national lockdown order would be good from the president. And that I respond, under what authority would the president of the United States give a national? They can suggest, and that's fine, and I think that's what they've already done. But I think the language here also matters. A national lockdown order? Where is that authority for the president of the United States? You know, where, where are we in the, in the constitutional order here? I would want to know, is that is that some soft declaration of, of martial law? I mean, I would think not. But where are they actually getting this? Because the, the experts have now decided that we all have to stay home. Notice stay home for how long? That's a judgment call. Who's going to make that judgment call? We're going to leave that to the people that don't know anything about economics, right? Don't know anything about the economic pain, devastation, destruction of lives that's going on 
because of this shutdown. They, they don't really comprehend. the. Do you think Dr. Fauci knows anything about corporate debt and restructuring and the hundreds of thousands, millions of people who are going to lose their jobs, not just when they turn the economy back on, but because of the losses that these companies have suffered, they're going to have to go bankrupt. Many of them are going to have to go, and then we're going to have bailout after bailout after bailout. What does that do? You know, I, and again, I'm not saying the shutdown is wrong. I'm just saying, can we understand? Can we understand all facets of it and have a real conversation about this without being shouted down? I am not telling anybody, you know, do not comply with the advice of the experts. I'm just saying, shouldn't we? We're all stuck at home thinking about this way too much as it is. Can't we? Ask questions about where it's going, how long it lasts. The IHME models, these are the, the Washington models you keep, you keep hearing about, they show a flattening of the curve. Do you, know when it, do you know when the curve really flattens? August. So either we're going to do this until, based on the model that they're using for all of the government's main projections, as long as I know, we're either going to use that model until the, the current circumstance of stay at home until August, or someone's going to come along and say, hey, it's too much pressure on the economy. We're going to have to open things up a little bit. Oh, and now you're taking risk. And oh, the shouts of blood on your hands will be deafening for whomever makes that call. President Trump or anyone else, you know, whoever it is, whether it's a state government or it's the federal government. I think we need to have a talk about where all of this is really going and what's really happening. I think it's more urgent now than ever. I know we're scared. When you're scared is when you have to ask the tough questions. When you're scared is when you have to be willing to say, hold on a second. Is this idea, is this idea that I have crazy? Let's put it out there. Tell me it's crazy. Tell me I'm wrong. But don't tell me not to ask it. Don't tell me we're not allowed to have the discussion. Not when I'm being told to live my life and everybody that I know and love here in New York City live our lives under house arrest that, by the way, may not protect us in the long run and could destroy the society around us in the medium run. I think we can have that discussion now. I, I, I insist on having it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at what's in those 30-day recommendations of the guidelines, that's essentially what it is. I mean, I know it's difficult, but we're having a lot of suffering, a lot of death. This is inconvenient from an economic and a personal standpoint, but we just have to do it. That is our major weapon against this virus right now. Yeah. We don't have a vaccine that's deployable. This is the only thing we have, and we can get through it if everybody really leans forward and pushes on this now there are some there are some issues that are unresolved by this approach and that's one of the things that i want to talk to you about today we're also seeing that the data from models used as recently as as a week or two ago many people are pointing this out the data tends to dramatically overstate where it will be the following week the end of month projections are dire and horrible and look we're already we are losing far too many people it is a catastrophe okay we we have seen the refrigerated trucks outside of hospitals in New York. There will be refrigerated trucks for extra morgue capacity outside of other hospitals across the country. You already know that. You don't, you don't really need me to tell you that. You understand that will happen in other cities, too. We all understand the seriousness of this right now. But we also know this has never been dealt with before like this in a modern economy, period. And we know that there are countries out there that have tried, you know, places that are trying to lock down, trying to lock down. Some of them have had some success. Some of them haven't. And... Why is that? 
There must be ways that a lockdown occurs that are better than others. Just telling everybody, stay stay in your home for a month or two or three. This seems to be a response that you'd come up with if you had no other option at all to deal with anything. And this is where I, I, I want to ask, you know, what has been the real success ratio here? I mean, Dr. Burks, for example, and you know, the people that keep saying, oh, you know, you're not a health expert or whatever. Well, you know, guess what? The, 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 these medical professionals are not statisticians either, nor are they heads of state, nor do they understand the full. So, like I said, do exactly what they tell you. I, I want everybody. You know, that's my disclaimer. Do exactly what they say. But I, I, I want to work through the questions that I have here with you in our quarantine safe space for ideas. And please, t- you know, tell me if you think that I'm missing something. And I come from this, uh, I come at this rather from the perspective of somebody who wants maximum protection of life, maximum protection of our way of life. Okay, you know, number one and then number two. But it can't just be number one with no look at all. Anyone who tells you that all that matters is every single life, whether it's this or any other public policy issue, that's all that matters. The only consideration they're they're being ridiculous. Of course, that's not true. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that right now the hospitals, and we'll talk about the UN, USNS Comfort, uh, which is here in New York. It's very close to where I'm doing this broadcast right now. I could walk to it probably in about 25, 30 minutes. Uh, th- that while this is going on, we're on lockdown. You know what's happened? Far fewer people being, uh, you know, be- being killed in car accidents, serious injuries on, on bicycles. The hospitals have... Uh, a dr- complete drop off in trauma cases because it's not impossible, but it's a lot harder for a serious high speed accident to happen in your home unless you're trying to make a really crazy TikTok video. Right. It's really unlikely. Does that mean that we should tell people that, you know, un- unless it's essential, no more going outside the home on bicycles or driving or anything else? You would save a lot. You know, th- I'm, I'm making philosophical points here. Like I said, listen to the experts. Don't listen to anything I have to say. OK, fine. But you could lock down everybody at home. You would save lives. At least right now, you've got to assume hundreds, right? You've got to assume a lot of lives have been saved at this point by the lockdown order that have nothing to do with COVID-19. So let's just keep working through this. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we know from the countries around the globe that really enforce their stay-at-home policies have really flattened the curve. We see it happening in Italy. We see it happening in Spain. And we think that is incredibly important. It's why the president put out the guidelines. Those are guidelines for all of Americans, speaking directly to Americans, past their local governments and state governments to say, please understand you need to stay home. Italy and Spain are very high in the list of countries when it comes to deaths from this. We know that, right? They're, they're at the top of the list of, of overall deaths from this, I believe. Now, China's numbers are a lie. I know that, but I can't. I don't know how much of a lie they really are. But China's numbers are definitely problematic. Um. This is this is what no one is really dealing with right now. And, and, and I I insist on us dealing with it here uh, because intellectually we should understand we should have a a clear sense of just what's going on with our long term goal. Right? We need to understand what are we what are we really trying to they keep saying flatten the curve. OK, 
So we'll flatten the curve in what? A month, two months, three months? Unless there is the only way that this all holds together as far as I see it. There are two things that are going on. Hospital capacity and improved treatment. I understand this. So maybe as we go along, there will be better options for treating this. There will be better things that we can do to try to, to bring down the, uh, the fatality rate, but also the, the duration on ventilators. One of the big problems here in New York is that usually people who go on ventilators in an ICU, they're on for two or three days. The doctor that I talked to said, now we're looking at people on ventilators for two, the ones who successfully come off, which is not a high number, by the way. That's a very concerning part of this. Right now in New York, the ventilator success ratio, meaning people who go on and then come off, is about 20%. So you have a one in five shot if you have to go on a ventilator of ever getting off that ventilator based on what we're seeing right now in New York. Now, maybe with chloroquine protocols earlier and the Z-Packs and the other things that are trying, maybe they, and that's why I understand you got to have, you got to do everything you can for people in terms of treatment. No question about that. And you got to be able to treat everybody who needs treatment. But the way that they are setting this up right now, there is no future in which we do not continue this way without risking a total a, a relapse at some level of what we're seeing right now. There is just no way. Um, we need to hear what exactly is going to happen if we stay home for three months and then what? We, we're not going to, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to be able to go outside still. I mean, I might say go outside. We're not going to be able to go back to normal economic activity. The models that they're using go through August. That's when the curve really gets flattened. The virus will still be out there. Now, again, I'm not trying to be depressing about any of this. I, I just really want to understand what they think we're going to accomplish with all of this. And the talk about, I, I am very frustrated whenever I hear this. Uh, people keep running these news stories on, oh, you know, somebody, uh, you know, another person who thinks they've got a, a good shot at a vaccine. Okay, a vaccine that's going to be 18 months from now? This much I do know, and I don't think anybody would disagree with it. Lockdown and, and continued forced economic depression. We, we are in... We just don't know it yet because we're, you know, we still people still have some jobs and money in their bank and everything else. It takes a while to feel the full effects. And we think we'll be able to pull out of it. Right. We think this is an intentional state, but we're in a depression. doesn't feel like it yet. But if it keeps going, it will. This is by the numbers, a depression, an induced depression, uh, an intentional one. Everybody seems to agree that we couldn't do this for 18 months, which means that at some point there's going to have to be elevated risk parameters, which means you're going to have to say, all right, we're going to do more stuff. And there may be some cases of this. And, and that may mean that people get sick and it may mean that people die. But we've got to get back to living. We've got to get back to life as a country. I, I'm not saying I know when this is, but that has to be part of the conversation, right? Otherwise, what we're going to do lockdown lockdown for 18 months. This place people will, and I really I mean this people will lose their minds. You're going to keep people under house arrest for 18 months. You're going to keep people under house arrest for 18 months. And they they feel especially if they feel like they're in a they're willing to take the personal risk uh, of, of contracting the virus and they'll stay away from other people that are high risk. Now, OK, they'll say not 18 months, but 
We do need to negotiate over what the price is here. It can't just be, you know, whatever, whatever we're told is what we have to do. And on the flattening the curve story, Dr. Burke says Spain and Italy have had success. The disease has has largely burned through Italy right now. Twenty percent of the people that uh, that were infected in and, and, and were hospitalized in Italy, my understanding is 20 percent of them didn't make it out. They've had a huge number of people who have been killed by this. We don't know because we don't have serological testing. We don't know who has been, how many people have been infected with this. There were some estimates you were hearing a couple of weeks ago that maybe a big percentage of people are asymptomatic carriers and have already had this. Which, so so when you, we're talking about in the last, let's say, six to eight weeks, oh, well, Italy and Spain have flattened the curve. Well, we don't know how much the disease has already burned through those populations. Another part of the flattening the curve rhetoric that I, I can't help but notice is that the countries that really have done a very good job with this, from what we've seen, South Korea and Singapore. Now, Singapore is tiny and it's, it's a little benevolent totalitarian state or benevolent authoritarian state, at least. And that's not really a helpful comparison. But certainly South Korea is. You know what they do in South Korea? Masks all along. And the more we think about this, what is the likely what is the the general population uh, risk reduction from everybody where if everybody were wearing masks, pretty much if you go outside mask, it's a rule, even if it only reduced 50 percent of the of viral transmission, meaning, you know, this is it's going to be 50 percent better in the aggregate than what it would be if you just walked around breathing in the air and going about your life. That would have massive public health implications. And I think it's a lot better than 50 percent mask and gloves. It's going to help. It's going to help. And people will say, well, what about doctors? And they have to be fitted. Yeah, the doctors are coming into contact with people in the hospitals with high viral load. So they're highly infectious. They're spewing out a lot of virus and they're doing it all day. So, yeah, of course, they need to have something that's tight on, the, on their uh, tight on their face and, and then over their nose and their mouth. But but our experts in this country couldn't figure this out, that we should have had everybody masking as soon as at least. How about everybody masking in New York as soon as it was clear that we were going to have this problem? And now, you know, Miami and uh, New Orleans and we've already seen what's happened in Washington state and people think it's going to get bad in Michigan and people think it's going to get bad if you in a bunch of other places. Ma- if masking would be necessary, but they can't even figure out if that's the way to go. Um we're all being told to, to stay home and, and they won't tell us how long we have to stay home. And that's because it's the models that they're using. They're just hoping that many of us, I mean, I've seen the data, they go to August. And n- now those of us who are saying maybe there was a different approach where, you know, in the on the upfront side of it, things would be worse. Things would be scarier, but you could only spend a certain period of time on a lockdown status, and then you're going to have to go as you can, take measures, protect vulnerable populations, and there will be some elevated risk in this, but you, you, you get closer to establishing some degree of, of normalcy. There are reasons for that that I think a lot of people don't even think about. For example, the healthcare capacity of hospitals is dependent upon the economy. Boston, a big Boston hospital just furloughed 700 employees. You know why? Because they're not making any money. The hospital can't keep its doors open. This is going to happen in other places, too. You, you want to say, well, OK, well, the government's going to pay them or whatever. You know, we're, we're really thinking we've forgotten everything we know about government's ineptitude, uh, government's indifference, 
So it's not very good at doing a lot of stuff. It doesn't care that it's not very good at doing stuff. And if you got a problem with it, too bad. We've started to think that the government is like the Avengers when the government is like, you know, the IRS spread into a whole bunch of different activities. The, the government is not your friend to keep you safe and warm at night. That's the Freedom Hut's role. And this makes me want to talk a little bit about the Sweden model. I mean, I'm just going to bring it up. I'll bring up the Sweden model. Like I said, flatten the curve. Do what you're being told, right? I don't, I don't want people coming after me. Oh, I'm a terrible person because I'm just, I am just asking questions. I'm not trying to hide behind that as a facade. I, I, I want to know. You know, last night on the, oh, I, let me get to this. I'll, I'll come back to it. But let's talk about the Sweden model for a second. Let's see where, let's see where it goes. Maybe the Swedes are totally wrong. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Last night I was watching Tucker Carlson's show because right now I think he's got the uh, the best best show on cable cable news. Um, and I, I was watching it and, and he had a guy on. Um, he had two people on to sort of represent different perspectives. One's an expert. He's a doctor and said the usual stuff, you know, flatten the curve, flatten the curve, get the disease down. OK, he just looks at the projections from a week or two ago and then goes online and says, OK, so the projections were wrong. Does anybody care? And people shouted him and you're a murderer. And why don't you care about old people and all the crazy stuff that, you know, some of them have been yelling at me, too, just for saying, so we're just going to do this. Huh? We're just going to induce a depression. See what happens. See what happens. You know, they already have riots in Italy, folks. You don't see a lot of reporting on that, do you? They have riots in Italy. What does anyone think that if we got into riots here in a place like New York City, given the tension that we're already under, what, what is that going to look like? Yeah, there's, there's a life protection issue that would come into play pretty quickly there, wouldn't it? And we got the NYPD right now out sick, too. So a huge percentage of the New York Police Department's out sick. So but Tucker had on this this doctor who, you know, Tucker went through the whole, OK, what about. If we did the following and this would have been what I thought, I don't know, not an expert, right? I got to keep repeating this because everyone yells at me and all the right. I don't care. Whatever. People are nuts. But trying to trying to do the best I can to be as honest and and worthwhile in my analysis of this uh, analysis of this as I can. But there was a doctor on last night and he was asked about what if we took the approach of protecting vulnerable populations, mask, gloves, work on all the serology tests, do all the things we're doing, but allow people to go to work. You're not going to be going to restaurants. You're not going to be going to bars, but the American people go back to work with precautions for themselves and with vulnerable populations still quarantined for, you know, the next, let's assume the next 60 to 90 days while we figure out more of what's going on here. But then there's more economic activity. There's a greater sense of normalcy. And, and the doctor gave, I'm just going to say, the doctor gave a zero answer. No, 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 flatten the curve. Oh, okay, maybe flatten the curve is right. But why? Why is that other thing not going to work? We really believe that uh, the people who are in the less vulnerable end of the, of the population uh, going to work with precautions, still telecommuting if they can, but going to work, going to their... A place of business with precautions. Now, people might shoot this idea down just by saying without or rather with, with social distancing in place, without a re relaxation of that bars, restaurants, you know, uh, retail. None of that opens hotels, travel. None of that opens e even. OK, I mean, may maybe that's. But then what about everything that's not those things? Right. What, what about people that need. And you might say that's such an insignificant part of the population. It's not worth the risk. That's an answer to the question. I'm just saying the doctor had no answer. 
And I think that was frustrating. And uh, the Swedes, who we often look to as a very, you know, a very uh, socially cohesive, very together, pleasant uh country right i mean the swedes it, it everyone feels like they're you know they're healthy and happy and you know a lot of good stuff going on there they have decided not to do what all these other countries are doing here's a piece from the telegraph faced with what many there believe will be a manageable illness sweden has decided for now at least that lockdown presents a greater risk lockdown presents a greater how could that be possible are, are the swedes monsters who don't care about lives do the Swedes not care about old people and people with health conditions dying from this? Is the Swedish government full of, full of uh, truly evil people? Why would a country of 20 million people uh, that does have cases and they know that it's there and they're seeing all the... What do they do? They're doing what I just said. People are asking, why don't we try that? Preca you know, sensible precaution, protect vulnerable populations and evaluate as you go along. Nope, we've taken the just shut it all down, just shut it down approach. For how long? We don't know. We'll figure that out. We'll let you know. Depression? Eh, who cares? Not important right now. We'll see. Maybe I come back in two weeks and I go, okay, Sweden has gotten absolutely uh, hammered by this virus and they've changed course and they know they were wrong and this was a disaster and they ran the experiment that some of us, I'm not even saying we should have run it here. I'm just saying I want an explanation as to why that wouldn't work or why wouldn't the Sweden model work in, in Utah while we keep New York on lockdown and let the virus get more under control here. Well, why not? That was what was being talked about two weeks ago. No, we went from looking at this, it seemed to me, in a fashion that was based on you know, balancing out risk and reward to the overall American population. We went from what do we do? We got to protect people. But you know, what are we willing to sacrifice as an entire society here um, for these? You know, this is this is what goes on. And over the course of the last two weeks, it just turned into like, shut it down, shut it all down. As long as it has to go, doesn't matter. Just the government will send out checks. Close your mouth. Stay home. That's it. How long? Don't ask. Oh, and there might be a national shutdown order coming. Don't worry about the Constitution. Ah, uh, okay. All right, this is what we're being told. You know, this is, this is what has been said. You know, the same, same folks that are a lot, in a lot of cases telling you that this is, uh, this is the only way forward are also saying, wow, there's so much less CO2 in the air because of this shutdown. Isn't that a great thing for the planet? You, know, you don't think that some of the, the new... The new powers, I mean, this is a, a stress test on society of government just being able to say there's a really important thing. You no longer get to you no longer have any real rights to question anything. You do what we say. Now, for some of us, I understand it's just an extreme circumstance. And we're just going to say, OK, I guess for now we got we got no choice. Uh, some of you are probably saying, Buck, I'm not willing to make that trade off. But for other people, they'll see it as an opportunity for progressives in the left. They will see this ability to get the government I mean, rather to get the American people to do as they say or else as something to be reused in the future mark my words thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iheart radio app or wherever you get your podcasts one of the uh one of the uh, things that this crisis has taught us sir is that we are dangerously over dependent on a global supply chain for our medicines 
like penicillin, our medical supplies like masks, and our medical equipment like ventilators. We have right now, as we speak, over 50 countries have already imposed some forms of export restrictions in their country against the rest of the world. And what, we've, what we're learning from that is that no matter how many treaties you have, no matter how many alliances, no matter how many phone calls, uh, when push comes to shove, you run the risk as a nation of not having what you need. And if there's any vindication of the president's buy American, secure borders, and a strong manufacturing base, philosophy, strategy, and belief, it is this crisis because it underscores everything that we see there. Navarro's right. He's been right. He was mocked. He was ridiculed by a lot of people, very fancy economists who think that they're so much smarter than him, just as Trump was ridiculed for recognizing the threat that China poses. Many people who think of themselves as experts, who think that what they bring to the table is uh, a breadth of knowledge and judgment on these issues, the, the particularly sophisticated and complex international trade and policy issues, uh, they have been made to look like complete fools. I mean, sure, it's great if you're somebody who has been uh, offshoring, you know, if you're a company that's been offshoring to China so that you are making a whole lot more money for yourself. And yes, people have pointed out that, you know, maybe being able to buy a $150 flat screen TV at Walmart, a Walmart because it's made in China isn't worth the price we are paying right now in national preparedness for what's going on. Yeah, you, you don't say. Now we all understand. Think about what is running short right now. Necessary medical equipment, protective gear, ventilators, antibiotics. A huge percentage of critical and staple. I mean, the antibiotics you need for a whole lot of things made in China. No one thought this was a problem who is involved in international trade policy in all these D.C. think tanks and everything else. Our media institutions, no one thought this was a problem until now. The lack of foresight with all of this has been stunning. And it's more than just lack of foresight. There are people who all along have refused, have refused to make what are the decisions that are in the best interests of America and the American people? Because there's a, there's a lot of money sloshing around from, let's just call it what is the globalists. That's the truth. There are a lot of people who are benefiting from the offshoring and from the outsourcing of all, this, all these different jobs and, and manufacturing and all the things that have been going on. And, and not only that, I mean, I remember I took a, a class in, I think it was, it was a required, usually I got to pick my classes, but it was a required freshman class it was called something like Bridge to the 21st Century. And it was like if, if a Tom Friedman editorial was made into a freshman seminar that you had to take, that's what this was. It was all just, we are all one people, and we are all one trade union, and we are all just holding hands and going to get better as a world. And I don't mean America, I mean the world, all the countries of the world, you know? It was a big kumbaya moment, right? We're all supposed to just think that everything's great and fine and, and you know, no borders, one world government. This was a really this has been a fashionable ideology in the academy and in the media in, in elite circles, you know, the Davos set for a long time. Of course, if you're super wealthy and you think that you can uh, you think you can immunize yourself in a sense from these the ill effects of this, which they do when it comes to illegal immigration, for example, illegal immigration benefits the wealthy almost exclusively. They don't care. And whether you raise the tax rate, you know what, what it does to local public schools and English as a second language and all these different challenges 
I mean, if you're a member of the Soros family or you're, you know, you're uh, Bloomberg or you're you know, name a billionaire. None of that stuff matters to you. In fact, you might want to have really cheap labor at your businesses, really cheap labor doing household chores for you, whatever it may be. So they weren't paying the consequences of it. And and it's it's unsurprising in a sense that here we are now. And as many are pointing out, and I, I saw uh, Ann Coulter editorial on this, and there have been there have been a lot of people that are saying this. This is a uh, this is a paying for globalism moment right now. But the rich aren't paying for it. Their, their asset, uh, their assets have been so inflated by the stock market. They're they've been, they're doing great. They're fine. This isn't going to hurt them. The people that this circumstance are going to hurt are first, those who get the disease and, and tragically those who die. But then second, those who will really suffer from the damage to the economy that's being done. That's going to be it's long term. This is long term structural damage. I know I know we're, we're supposed to think they're just going to send everybody checks and we're all just in like this giant national Netflix binge. But that's not that's not the way this is going to be. That would be that would be too simple. And if that were possible, you'd have to think, well, why don't we all just have a national holiday for a month every year where the government just sends everything about how much better. What a quality of life that would be. You know, everyone. Get, no, no one goes out. Everyone gets to stay home and hang out for a month. Well, when I say goes out, goes to work. This isn't a social distancing thing. This is just a why not have the government pay for everybody to have a month long taxpayer funded vacation? Oh, that's right, because the money comes from the taxpayers, which is us. Whew. Navarro has been correct on this trade issue for a long time. A lot of people, voices that were, we sort of knew that they were right, but they were marginalized for a long time. Uh, people that, you know, the, the Buchanan on trade, you know, Pat Buchanan on trade, and people like Ron Paul on, on the debt and money printing, and these people are right on, some, on these issues. They've been proven right on this. No one said that it was going to be a crisis to have essential U.S. manufacturing offshored all the time every year, although you could look at the loss in jobs and the gutting of the uh, industrial Midwest and the manufacturing that was done there and what that's done to jobs. And I, I know people say, oh, well, we don't all want to have assembly line jobs. But OK, yeah, but assembly lines are much safer and better and more and more high tech. And, you know, we, we, we want people engaged in the process of making stuff here. And I'll tell you one, there are going to be massive cultural and political changes that come out of this. And, and I don't whether we end this thing in a month or a year, which God forbid. But I mean, I'm talking about end this thing. I mean, the shutdown, I'm not the virus. I, I'm somebody who thinks eventually we're going to we're going to hopefully get some better treatments for it. And then we're going to have to learn to we're going to live with this thing for a while. It's going to be out there. We're going to. questions, But I, I mean, the, the shutdown can't be the only answer. I do think there's some people who think it is. But um, and I also would note that the flat I, I don't want to go back to the flatten the curve thing, but OK, so if we flatten the curve, is it a national thing or is it a New York thing? Meaning when New York's curve comes down, it's going to go up in other places. So the curve is then we think the curve is flattened or is it not flattened? H how do we how do we gauge this? If one state is having a terrible crisis, other states have active infections, but a few states have already the, the, the virus has burned through them largely. Is that well, when is the curve really flattened? This is why they say it takes until August. I want to know, really, I mean, the, the difference between flattening the curve and the plan they have is really just a function of stretching. It, it seems to me that they're stretching out the number of cases. There's still going to be a lot of cases. Uh, and I understand healthcare uh, capacity. They keep saying that we'll see.
We'll see what the projections look like in April. And this is going to be, this is a brutal, anyway, I don't, look, I told you we're never, we, we, we shall not give into panic or despair on this show ever. We will never, never, never give into that. So that means that there'll be a limitation on how much of this stuff we can really talk about. You know, how much of that aspect of it we'll talk about. But back, back to the trade issues and what I see changing here. Made in America is going to become a really powerful rallying cry after this. We will understand what that means. This has been a reminder. This has been a reminder of the nation state's role. This has been a reminder that a country is a community. A country is a polity in the ancient Greek sense or a polis, right? That it has a a political core and that it's a, a group of people that are a political family, political and cultural family, that there are differences between countries and their approach to things, and that when things get really ugly, you're either in the family or you're not. That's where we are right now. Trying to buy things from China. I was watching the Governor Cuomo press conference this morning, and he's saying that they're, they're trying to negotiate to buy. He's talking to Jack Ma of Alibaba. He's the, you know, Alibaba is the Amazon of China, and Jack Ma is the... Um, well, the Bezos, I don't know, I blanked out his name for a second. He's the Bezos of China, trying to find ways to get these, these ventilators. Okay, that's where we are now. We're, we're begging the Chinese to send us uh, overpriced now. I mean, the, the market price has gone up, 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 up. Send ventilators because we don't have the capacity to make them fast enough here. Some of you have been pointing out to me, I know you're right. You guys, a lot of you know more, a heck of a lot more about industry manufacturing than I do. And you're saying that they couldn't turn around that as fast as we need them to, no matter what they did. It's just not possible. Well, isn't that an indictment of where we are then? You know, America, the mightiest commercial enterprise the world has ever known. And we can't churn out. We got 320 million people here. We can't churn out ventilators as fast as we need them with a true national crisis. A- am, I, am I missing something? That seems to me to be in and of itself an indictment of what's going on here. That seems to me to be a a clear problem with what's going on here. Um, And I just think that uh, we're going to have some big changes. Made in America is going to be really powerful. You're going to, a lot of people who live through this are going to say, yeah, I'll pay a little more to know this is made here. That we outsourced all of our antibiotics. Antibiotics are not hard to make. Big pharma, big pharma has got a lot of making up to do. You know, big pharma uh, has been they've been very guilty of this, you know, supply chain offshore and all this stuff. And, and now here we are returning them and we're saying, can you guys save us from this virus? And eh, we don't know if we can figure this out in time. Sorry. Can you guys at least manufacture enough, you know, Z packs and chloroquine and whatever else? Eh, it's going to be tough. We got supply chain issues because they make a lot of this stuff overseas. What? Can't you can't make this stuff? You know, this is putting strain on our system that you can't even imagine. I go on Amazon. I mean, Amazon is, for me, it's like worthless. I can't get anything delivered. Everything is, oh, it's six weeks out. And I go, okay, well, this must be because we need essential items delivered now. I get that. And then I say, okay, Amazon, send me some, send me some paper towels so I don't have to go to a grocery store and possibly get infected myself because infection in New York is more common than anywhere else. Oh, no, we can't do that. We're out of stock or don't have the delivery capacity. Well, who do, I'm in New York. Who, who do they have the delivery capacity for? I mean, they're, they're, are they sending uh, lots of toilet paper to people up in Montana? I mean, I love you, Montana, but I'm in a rougher spot here with COVID-19 than you are. 
I can't get anything. I can't get this stuff delivered. So we're seeing that we thought we lived in this world of of algorithms and instantaneous commercial gratification. And our our supply chain is already stretched. Our ability to get what we need to get when we need it is insufficient. Cuomo is saying he's saying on the uh, ventilators that it's like, uh, what is it? Sunday is D-Day. He's saying by Sunday, we're not going. I'm sorry. No, not Cuomo. De Blasio is saying this. Play clip three. And I want to say the president's been very um, available and I appreciate that. Uh, and we've gotten some of the help we need for sure. But the real help going forward, and I've said this explicitly to the president, and his entire team, uh, FEMA, the military, everyone. I've said that this coming Sunday is D-Day because we know that as of Sunday, we start to run out of ventilators. We start to get really stressed in terms of our personnel. Think of it this way. For weeks and weeks and weeks, these heroic doctors, nurses, healthcare workers have been fighting this battle. A number of them are out sick now with the disease. A lot of them are just stretched to the limit. They need reinforcements. They need it now. So what I've said to every one of our national leaders is we need to get on a wartime footing. I think we're on a wartime footing, aren't we? The president has invoked the Defense Production Act. We are all hands on deck here. We got all these different industries that are saying that they're making masks, they're making PPE. They're... Where is the cavalry? I mean, I sit here and I'm asking this. I'm in the middle of what is the, the worst battle against COVID-19 right now in the world. And I just want to know where is where is all this stuff? And I'm not, by the way, I'm not despairing. I'm asking. Maybe there's more and maybe the press is not you know, doing a good job of covering it. And uh, I, I just wonder why, how, how we could even have the faintest notion that we wouldn't have the gear we need for our doctors and nurses to try to help people, al- people stay alive in America. I'm sorry that that is there is a big problem here, a big problem here. And it does make me question a lot. It does make me think more and more about the trillions and these wars overseas and all this stuff for what? When I've been saying that for a long time, we should have ended the war in Afghanistan 15 years ago, but what are we doing running around the world with all these international aid programs and all this stuff we got going on all the time. And we didn't think about this. We, uh, the pandemic, the pandemic preparedness groups in the government did what exactly to prepare us for this pandemic? We, we don't have the gear. We don't know when to, we don't know what to do. We don't know. What, uh, I don't know. Look, this isn't despair. This is catharsis. This is sitting here saying, can we have a little bit of a truth session? I I like having a truth session here. I prefer that. I prefer that to sitting around saying, pat me on the head, government. Tell me what to do. I'll be a good boy. Whatever you say, as long as you say it, because all they've been doing is messing up as far as I can see. Our people are doing good work. The government. A lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, you know, it works. And and we see it working all around the country. And uh, I hate to even think of how much worse this would be without it. And uh, why the president doesn't do the Defense Production Act, why he doesn't call for everyone uh, to have a say, you'll have to ask him about that. Uh, But it is curious to hear some of the, uh, I don't know if you call it rationale, of some of the governors who don't have not implemented this. It not only is harmful to their own people, 
people, but it, it again contributes to the spread of the virus, which is harmful to everyone. We're up to around 90 percent of the American people at uh, shelter in place or other stay at home initiatives. It should be 100 percent. This is a, a terrible, terrible assault on the lives and the livelihood of the American people. And we have to all we're all in this together. When Nancy Pelosi says we're all in this together, I, w- I wish I could just take her at her word. But remember this. She's the person who, while we were all suffering, thought we needed to work on corporate corporate board diversity, windmills, solar panels, while people are losing their jobs and people's friends, relatives, loved ones, siblings, spouses are dying of this. She wanted to play games and hold the whole thing up. Speed matters, as we know. The government is desperately trying to get money to people ASAP because the longer they don't have that money, the greater the stresses on the system, the greater the stresses on those people. They got they got bills to pay. They got things to do. They got families to support. But Pelosi wanted to play games. That's not going to change. Nancy Pelosi is going to view this whole thing as an opportunity for the Democratic Party. We've already seen her take action uh, based on that. That was what that whole delay game was. And Nancy Pelosi isn't putting aside politics in the least. She's not putting aside her uh, jihad against Trump. She's not going to stop. She wants to destroy him. She is viewing this as an opportunity for the Democratic Party to finally end the Trump presidency. So while she can talk about how much she cares about the people, her actions don't show it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes even under extreme circumstances, people do the right thing, knowing that it's going to hurt them, but they want to help other people. It does occur. That that does certainly happen. Um, And we have, I think, one instance of that here that we can all take a moment to uh, to go over together. You have the USS Theodore Roosevelt, a, uh, a an aircraft carrier, and Captain Brett Crozier, who was removed from his post. Now, he wasn't fired from the Navy. I was seeing some people thinking that's the same thing, but he was removed from his post, which is a big deal when you spend 20 years of your life, of your career, to get to the point where you are the captain of an aircraft carrier. That's a That's a big deal. I don't... I'm not a Navy, Navy man myself, but I know enough to know that aircraft carriers, uh, an expensive piece of equipment with a lot of people you're responsible for on board. And here's what happened. Captain Crozier was worried about the health of the men on board because they had an outbreak of COVID-19. And he did not think the Navy was being responsive enough. He sent a letter to uh, to the brass and the letter leaked to the media. And he was removed from his post because he did not take necessary care to prevent that uh, to prevent that letter from making its way to the media. And here is how the sailors, the thousands of sailors and airmen and Marines on that ship uh, sent off their captain as he was relieved of duty in Guam. Play clip six. I 
think the men have had their say in this one, men and women. I think they've had their say. I think it's clear they appreciate that here was somebody who was willing to go to extreme lengths to make sure that they were safe. Uh, Now, I understand that there will be questions here about, well, if it leaked to the media, then uh, perhaps there's a an issue of the enemy knowing the readiness of that ship and it's an aircraft carrier and there are geopolitical and geostrategic concerns and, you know, a lot of that stuff. But I also believe that this had already been reported in the press that there were concerns on this ship. And we're, we're at a point now where uh, given what we see, this is doing to even younger and healthier people. Not that that means it's it's uh, the, the approach changes, but it means the risk tolerance on board a Navy ship would be different. You know, if you're uh, if this isn't just a disease that can incapacitate and perhaps even kill people who would be of reti- who would already be retired and out of the Navy, if it could kill people or, or incapacitate them who are uh, still on board ship, then that changes the readiness capacity or the readiness uh, of of the ship. And so this seems to be a, a case where somebody just I, I don't know if he leaked it intentionally or not. I find it hard to believe that a letter on board a ship like this would not get leaked or would get leaked rather without him being interested in having somebody let the media know what's going on here. But now there's more attention on this ship and perhaps he might, he might have, look, he might have saved lives, saved lives of his men. And it's true of people on the people in the military. It's true of people anywhere. Leaders who will leaders who will take risks to their career to save their people. Nothing inspires loyalty like that. Nothing out there inspires that kind of loyalty. So that's a, a, Story. I think it's a, a somewhat inspiring story from the Navy side. There's another Navy story. It's got a lot of Navy talk today for all of you, uh, all of you Navy folks. All of you, uh, what's the what are we what are we what's the word for Navy folks that I, I know? There's one word that that well, I'm trying to remember what the what the broad sailors. There we go. <laughs> Good job, Buck. For all of the Navy sailors out there. Uh, I was like, not airmen. No, that's in the air. That's not the, the Navy's in the water. I know. See, I know some things about some stuff. But there's this other story about the USNS Comfort, which, as I said, is close by here, and it is not taking in many patients. And this is in part because of what the mission of this hospital, this Navy hospital ship was declared as. The mission is to deal with non-COVID patients who go into the hospital right now uh, so, you know, if you if you had a if you have a heart attack, for example, uh, the idea is that you can you can be transferred to this this Navy ship. The problem is that the Navy ship has all these decontamination procedures in place and you have to go to a hospital first before you get sent to the Navy ship. So as I go on air here, they really only had. 20 was the last number I saw. 20 patients they have a thousand beds they've got 20 patients that's now of course if you have to go in for a non-covid issue i would much rather be at the usns comfort than having to go but i think you have to go to a hospital to get the referral and if you don't have covid19 the last place on earth you want to be right now is a hospital er intake last place you want to be so as i understand it you have to go to a hospital and then the hospital makes a determination that you don't have COVID-19. Then they have to communicate with the Navy ship, transfer you to the Navy ship, 
And then the Navy has to take a, do a test and ensure, I think they do your temperature. I'm not even sure how, what, the, what the full procedure is, but they'll put you through procedures to make sure you don't have COVID-19. And then you can be seen by the staff on that ship. I mean, you better hope you're not going in the ER with a gunshot wound. This is not good. This is not a fast process. So people are concerned about that, understandably. And now there's a discussion as to whether or not they will do what they did with the Javits Convention Center here. The Javits Convention Center is a state convention. Sorry, state convention center. I'm, I'm like purred happily right now from Parks and Rec. A convention center, a place where people convene that is central. Um, but the Javits Center was turned from being what was going to be overflow hospital for non-COVID patients. And so now it's a COVID hospital. And they've got, I think, over a thousand beds in there, too. So now it's the entire Javits Convention Center has been set up to deal with COVID overflow. And one of the big problems that they're seeing is, as I've mentioned to you, people stay on the ventilators for a long time. So it's not just the patient intake. It's that patients go in and they stay in for weeks. So each bed that get, every time someone gets put on a ventilator, they could be on for for 14 to 21 days which is much longer than usually you see usage of ventilators in, in ICU cases. Usually it's a few days and the person either makes it or doesn't, right? That's, that tends, this is from a doctor friend of mine, that's what he said. Uh, in this instance, people are on those ventilators for weeks, for weeks. Uh, so that's something else to keep, to keep in mind here as we go forward and see what the ability is to deal with all of these, uh, deal with all of these cases. Um, also want to talk more about the politics of this, because, as you know, I mentioned that Pelosi is not done being Pelosi. Well, that's that's the understatement of the of the year. Um, Pelosi is not done. So I, I want to tell you what she is up to with the Democrats while the nation is going through a crisis, the likes of which this country has never seen. I want to take you through what Nancy Pelosi's reaction to all of this is and how she thinks she's helping. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Uh, do you think it's fair for Mitch McConnell to suggest that impeachment slowed down the federal response? No. Oh, that's so sad. Uh, they can't handle their jobs, I guess, uh, because it, it, what are they saying? We ignored it. It was self-evident. Most people knew about it, and certainly those are responsibility. So I say of that, either you can't handle your job, uh, but don't blame impeachment on that. Just blame it on the fact that you didn't want to face the reality. And that denial and that delay cost lives. This is Nancy Pelosi. If, if she was standing next to you in the gym and you're on the treadmill and you're trying to do your run and, and every, every, you know, 30 seconds she takes a broom and, you know, whaps you across the shins as you're on the treadmill and it slows you down for a second. She goes, what? What, you can't, you can't handle your rear workout? You can't handle your rut? They were trying to remove the president from his job. They were tangling him up in lawsuits and taking all public attention away from the possibility of this virus. And let's also remember, the media said the virus wasn't going to be a big deal. The experts said the virus wasn't going to be that big of a deal. That's just the truth. But now Nancy's saying, oh, they couldn't handle their jobs. And she doesn't want to admit that the impeachment scam that they perpetrated against Trump and against the American people was just reckless beyond belief. What an idiocy to even go through with it. They really thought that, oh, and the brave Mitt Romney. We all remember that. Oh, so brave, Mitt Romney. So brave. 
We all remember that vote that now I think people are increasingly able to recognize was just just classic virtue signaling Romney showboating and nothing to do with anything. There are more important things for the government to be faced with. And I was having a, a little bit of a change in my thought process for they've put us through this nonsense for years about how Trump is Trump is the worst and Trump is basically, you know, a traitor and all this. It kind of makes sense in a way that that was what they did, though, because they can't psychologically, the Dems, the libs, they can't psychologically accept that Trump won and that the response to eight years of Obama as president was to elect a guy who had never held elected office ever and smashed all of these uh, liberal sacred cows and decided that it was no longer going to be the case that the swamp was going to just do what it had done in the past and was going to come in with some very different ideas. They couldn't process it. So in a sense, of course, they made stuff up. Of course, they came up with these coup efforts that were fabrications because that was all they could do because they couldn't accept that the reality around them was what it was. And, and now, I mean, I really do think it's a worthwhile psychological exercise. Think about what's what the country feels like right now. We're in, we're in bad shape. You don't need me to tell you that. Things are bad. We're in a depression and we're losing people to a virus every day. OK, this is bad. Think of the rhetoric that was being used by Democrats even a year or two ago. The middle class is getting crushed. Donald Trump is threatening our democracy. And, you know, we, 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 he's a clear and present danger. and He's going to lead us into war and uh, all these things that they were saying. The special counsel, oh, he cheated to win the election. This, this was all, it was just all a fabrication. These people are nuts. They're nuts. And what they don't ever uh, seem to take into account in this whole process is how much damage was done to the intelligent public, the, the intelligent public that has good judgments, willingness to listen to these people, given what we saw them do. And now we see Nancy Pelosi is pulling together a select committee. This is what I really wanted to get to. She hasn't, hasn't learned any lessons. She hasn't changed her mind about anything. Here's what Pelosi's saying. Play five. The reason I announced this commi- committee, this House Select Committee on, to address the coronavirus crisis uh, is so that we can, in the here and now, address as we go forward with transparency and accountability. Others are suggesting after action review, and that's for after action. And there are plenty of reasons why we need lessons learned, as Dr. Fauci referenced them the other day. Lessons learned and perhaps new therapies when we have another round of this. Dr willing we don't but if we do so that's about an after action review so we're prepared for the future this is about the here and now select committee investigate use the bureaucracy use the process as a weapon again while trump this is is exactly what i said now trump's on a treadmill for the life of this country trying to keep us going and Pelosi standing next to him with a broom, whapping him on the shins, whapping him on the shins. Why can't you run faster? Why aren't you doing better? Just hitting him. I don't know. I don't know. She's like, I don't know why Trump is having difficulty. We have accountability and a referendum built into the system. We have an election this fall. We don't need Congress while we are still in the storm to be sitting around saying, well, this is what this is what the response was during the storm. We don't. No, we simply don't know. Absurd. It's absurd. I mean, but Nancy, Nancy Pelosi is not an ethical person. She's not an honest person. This shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. And 
the the politics of this are not going to change. Oh, and, and just in case you're wondering, yeah, she's still worried about about uh, o- Obamacare enrollment because that's really going to that's that's really something that's on the top of everyone's mind right now. Play uh, 13. Well, it's, it's really so sad that the, the president would not extend the enrollment period. So many people are, people are uninsured, some because in the Republican tax scam that they put forth, they stripped the individual mandate from that. So some people thought, well, I don't have to uh, sign up for health insurance. They're going to be free riders. And some just couldn't afford to do it. So in any event, uh, we should have an open enrollment to give people another chance to sign up in light of the coronavirus uh, crisis that we have. Uh, but it's no surprise because this is the president who's in court right now to overturn the Affordable Care Act. Right now, he should withdraw uh, that case, his his support for that case, because that will take away any pre-existing condition benefit. It will take away uh, the all of the uh, uh, issues that relate to the cost as well as the access and affordability and accessibility to health care. I mean, they've already said that COVID, trust me, if you show up right now and you're getting uh, COVID-19 treatment, there's not going to be, the the government is not going to be sending anybody any any bills for this stuff. It's just not going to happen. And I, I, Nancy Pelosi trying to say that he needs to pull the lawsuit about Obamacare because of this. She is just shameless. She's just shameless. It's do what I say or else. She will hold the nation hostage to her just nutty, progressive agenda and this is the, this is the way she operates all the time remember the democrats want you to believe that they are the ones that would do a better job they want you to believe that they are much more capable than this administration is of handling this crisis and, and how, why would anyone think that's the case why would anyone really believe that what what evidence do they give us that would make us think that that could be true. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, I wouldn't trust her to run a hot dog stand. I don't think Nancy Pelosi is somebody of good judgment. I think she is cunning and conniving and will do whatever and ruthless and will do whatever. And that served her very well in a Democratic Party. That is just a machine, a coalition of interests for the acquisition of power and the utilization of that power through state mechanism based on an ideology of collectivism. That's what that's what Pelosi stands for. And I know that sounds a little bit technical, maybe, but that is what she that is who she is. There's no ethics. There's no concern for the little guy and all that. That's all a sham, a scam. And you know it. Uh, that's where we are, folks. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. For the first time just in the last few days, we've gotten some evidence from studies from around the world uh, that having a face covering on can help avoid accidentally transmitting the disease because what we're seeing now is asymptomatic people, people not showing any signs of the disease, might be able to transmit it. So out of an abundance of caution, this is what I'm saying to all New Yorkers. Take a scarf, take a bandana, just anything you have at home, just cover your face if you're going to be in close contact with people who are not your own family under your own roof. Now, if you're socially distanced, uh, you don't need it. But if you might, you know, even accidentally get closer to people in the course of your day, going shopping or anything else to the grocery store, have something you can just cover your mouth with, even if it's for a temporary period of time. Mm-hmm. That just helps protect other people. It's not a way of stopping, uh, you know, the possible infection that you might experience. It's a way of making sure the whole community is safe by people not inadvertently spreading the disease. 
Oh, oh, that's great that we just got some information about the masks. Oh, okay, de Blasio. Um, has anyone ever seen a photo of what they do during flu season in a lot of, of Asia? Anyone ever see what's been going on in countries all over the world since the beginning of this pandemic? But, but now we've got some studies that show may, maybe you should wear a face covering. Producer Mark, where, where are you, by the way, on face covering gear right now? What have you got? Uh, I believe my wife has acquired some cloth ones. Okay. So it's better than nothing. Better than nothing, right? Yeah. I, hey, I listen to the experts because I'm told if I don't do that, I'm a bad person. And I didn't, get, uh, I didn't get masks early when I was thinking about doing it. And some people told me to do it, and I didn't do it. And now I'm walking around like, okay, so um, I get to go online and click the, I click the button to get the mask you know, delivered to me. And it'll be here in like mid-May. That's exciting. That's great. That's perfect. Just make it, make it for the next six weeks without a mask, and maybe we'll have a mask for you. That's, that's really, uh, really confidence-inspiring. Uh, you know, this is why some of us, some of us are willing to, uh, producer Nick says, he, he's got some ideas for me here. All right, well, maybe I'll go to that website, but I just feel like, uh, why am I not supposed to be annoyed by this? I mean, isn't it really, it'd be one thing if they said, get a mask if you want. They didn't just say, get a mask if, if you want to. They didn't say that at all. They said, you don't need a mask, and if you try to get masks right now, you may be stopping our first responders from getting what they need. Am I right or am I wrong, Producer Mark? Yes, everyone did say that. Yes, <laughs> correct. Right. They still are. They still don't want you to buy N95s. They want you to use a scarf or something like that. Well, no, but they want, they're saying claw, you know, some kind of a yeah, fabric Just cover mask, your face whatever. somehow, yeah. But isn't this the most obvious thing imaginable? I mean, we were told, you know, don't touch things. So wearing gloves became. But my problem with the glove thing is, OK, so let's say I put on my I put on my little surgical gloves, my little rubber gloves, and I go out You know, I'm going to walk to Lula right after the show. Today. I'm going to go out with my little gloves on and I'm going to touch some stuff in the elevator. Right. Because I have to because otherwise I'll just sit in the elevator, which, by the way, just being in an elevator feels like that's a little COVID-19 incubation box. because Hundreds and hundreds of people live in my building all using the elevator. So. Okay, so then I go downstairs, and, and then I, I touch a bunch of things. But if I touch with my gloved hand, let's say, you know, a, a button for the elevator, and then that glove, that glove finger, I touch, I don't know, you know, uh, a part of my sleeve, and then six hours later, I touch that sleeve with an ungloved hand, and I put it in my, and then I touch my eye or something. Like, I just feel, I, look, I'm, I, I'm not saying don't do it. It just feels like it's not, a, you know... You drive yourself nuts with this stuff. Yeah? No? Mark? No? Uh, sorry, I didn't realize you were speaking to me. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. Yeah, I mean, I've been, every time, I don't go to the house much. I don't have a dog to walk or anything. So every week when I go grocery shopping, I've been taking off all my clothes as soon as I get home, shower. Whoa, hey, producer Mark, all it's right, a party. All right, you know what I mean. Party at producer Mark's <laughs> house. <laughs> you had it to make that weird, day. It's his birthday. Yeah. He's going to party like Yeah, I get into my birthday suit. His, his birthday uh, in the club, in the club with producer Mark. I hope you did play some Fitty Scent yesterday. Nope, there was none of that being played, Puck. Mister Mister Fifty, I remember on the, uh, the that real estate show they tried they were trying to sell Fifty Cent's house in uh, in Connecticut, and he uh, the house with the problem they said for the house was that it was too big. Like, it was actually just too big. No one would want a house that big. There's no reason to have a house that big. It would be like living in a hotel by yourself. Do you ever see that? 
Uh, I've seen many celebrities' houses. It's just ridiculously large. Yeah, no, his house, it was like, I, don't, I mean, I'm not, the, I'm guessing at the number, but it, it was like a 20-bedroom house. And that sounds cool until you realize, like, what are you doing with 20 bedroom? Like, it just makes no sense. There's no reason for a 20-bedroom house. But it had an indoor disco uh, and things like that. So there was a, a pole, I remember, in the, in the Mr. 50 Cent home, a pole for what I believe could be either an aerialist or perhaps an exotic dancer. I'm not going to guess which one. I don't think yep. that's safe well, for the radio. I think it's actually both, yeah. I, be- I believe. My understanding, oh, my both? limited knowledge okay, of... Yeah. My limited knowledge from both the aerialist and exotic dancer community is that the pole is something that can be used for, for either. Um, you have friends yeah. in both industries? Um, I mean, you know, uh, plead the fifth or something. I don't know. Okay. I do know that they shut down. Uh, I know that they shut down uh, cabarets, which is a nice way of saying it, all across New York very quickly uh, for fear, obviously, of, of contamination. But. I'm just going to say it. I mean, if contamination was the concern, they should have shut them down a long time ago. I'm going to agree with that, Buck. Right? Public health hazard. I'm just going to say it. All right. So what else is going on in the world of the of the quarantine? Uh, Producer Mark, take us through a little bit of what the plan is for the weekend, my friend. What are you going to be doing? Uh, Well, I'm going to go grocery shopping after the show at some point when my wife returns from work. Nice. And uh, then I'm going to stay home. I think I'll stay in. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to listen to the. uh, pandemic preparation council that says uh, stay home i'm gonna do the same thing this is what i was telling everybody i'm just asking questions about this stuff i'm not telling anybody to take any risk it was funny you know what i was thinking about doing and it was this is one of the things where when, when you're really bored you have a thought that you think is great and then you realize it's the dumbest thought you ever had uh i i like from my time living in dc which you remember not long ago i like those those electric scooters they're fun you look like a dork on them but who cares they're a lot of fun and right now New York is abandoned. Like they're, 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 you can do it in D.C. because the streets are so much less crowded. New York is abandoned on the streets. Uh, there's there's no people, and so you wouldn't have the problem you normally would of of riding one of those scooters in the sidewalk or in the street. And I was like, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna go on Amazon or whatever, and I'm gonna get one of these electric scooters. And then I realized. If I had to call you, producer Mark, because I had to go to the ER because I, you know, broke my wrist on an electric scooter, given what's going on here and what's happening, you know, with the ER, I mean, I I would never forgive myself. But I had like a five minute period where I was like, yeah, I'm an electric scooter all over town. It's, you know, it's not a risk to anybody in terms of uh, the the virus or me or anyone else. You know, I'm not going to be close to anybody. But then I realized, oh, but if you hurt yourself right now, you're, you're really, that's very bad. Yeah, I don't even know how I would react to that phone call. Yeah, I, I like want, it I would be a mix of it. anger and laughter. Yeah, I, it would it would be very very dumb. So I'm not I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm trying to think of it. Maybe I'll. You know, I was thinking about taking up jogging again. It's been a long time since I've been a jogger. So I, I don't know. I got to get outside and do some things other than I think I might do some podcast recording this weekend for a history podcast. Great, which is which is exciting, which we'll put out in the stream for those of you who are podcast listeners as soon as we can give you something to listen to that's not just this uh continuous series of updates about the uh, the collapse of the world and yeah we're gonna have to see we're gonna have to see what ends up happening here um what's on the what's the top of the are you watching uh the creek that we cannot name for the weekend is uh, that the main show we finished everything on netflix now we have to go for the newest season uh, to pop tv 
So there's one last season. This is the last season they're in production, so we got to finish that, and then uh, I'm not sure where we're going next. Hmm. But it's a really good show. Highly recommended. I wish I could say the name of it on the air. Oh, oh, The Creek. Yeah, The Creek. The Person. Yeah. That we will not say on the show. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I will check it out on your recommendation. I did ask last night. We had a great uh, tw- uh, Twitter thread last night, and I asked people what their, what their best not super well-known Netflix shows were, right? I asked them what the best not super well-known, and I will say that the biggest, people kept saying Ozark, and I'm like, guys, come on. Everyone knows about Ozark. Ozark yeah. is like number one right now on Netflix. I'm like, that's, I, that, they didn't pay attention to the, here, I, I tweeted out to them, okay, Internet. By the way, we, we got almost, almost 3,800 responses to this. This gives you a sense of you know, the, the power of the of It's the probably interweb. the first time you've been ratioed without it being negative. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Man, the Buckster. When the Buckster gets dragged, he gets dragged hard. You know, I go hard in the paint. What can I say? And sometimes it goes the wrong way on me on Twitter. And, whoo, man, the libs come after me. Um, but I have no other way, man. I, I got two speeds, all in or eating Cheetos, watching TV. You know, that's how I, that's how I roll on the Twitter. Uh, okay, Internet, your best Netflix series recs that are not obvious. Please, no Narcos, House of Cards, etc. What's the best you got? Go. And people gave me a lot of, of great options to check out. Uh, so I'm going to share some of those with you now. That was what I was planning to do all, all along. I would just say, though, that when I say not obvious, I mean, I think Narcos is probably, I'm sorry, uh, Ozark maybe the most obvious, other than the Tiger King show, which... Yeah, Carol Tiger Baskin, King is the most obvious. Carol Baskin. Let me tell you about Carol Baskin. Oh, that guy's... You know that he has COVID-19? Does he? I just saw that. Wow. Yes, there was a story yesterday that the Tiger King's in prison and he's got COVID-19. So, uh, here we go. The best wrecks that I got off of this one were uh, David Harsanyi said The Last Kingdom, but I've told you guys about that one a lot. Um, Ariel Davidson was very funny. She responded, I don't know if you've heard of this show about tigers and polyamorous libertarians, but it's called Tiger King. Yes, yes, indeed. I'm familiar with that one. The great wrecks, though, that I have for you, uh, the great wrecks that I have are Longmire, which I've been meaning to watch, Justified, which I've been meaning to watch, uh, a show called Fauda, which is about is an elite Israeli counterterrorism unit fighting against terrorists, obviously. Uh, those were the biggest, the biggest ones. Ned Ryan, my conservative friend, you've probably seen him on Fox. He wrote zero 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 on Amazon Prime. Have you heard of that one? I have not. I don't know that. I don't know that one. I don't know. Uh, I got Bloodline as a suggestion. I thought Bloodline was great, but uh, it was the fifth season. It completely fell apart. And then the creek that producer Mark likes, and I wrote on Twitter, producer Mark loves this one. That got Bosch was another one that a lot of people recommended to me. Um, Trying to think what else we have on here. Umbrella Academy or Star Trek. That that I didn't I cannot verify that those are good options or good choices. But yeah, so basically Longmire, Justified, Bosch, Fauda, Someone wrote the Valhalla murders, which sounds pretty interesting. I didn't check that one out. These are all. Oh, and Broadchurch. That was the other one I was looking for. I, the, I, the, I haven't seen. I've seen a couple of episodes of Justified and it's great. I just didn't see all of it. So I might go back to that. But the other ones, uh, those would be new for me. So the, I'm just giving you uh, Bosch, Longmire, Justified. 
You didn't get Fouda. any Ted Bundy stuff there. I'm surprised. The Ted Bundy tape? Yeah. That, I, I, it was too, I tried it, I got too creepy for me. Really? I bailed. Did you watch, did you listen to I it? watched half of it on a plane, but I watched the movie and I liked that. Yeah. If someone's looking for a good movie, I thought Ford versus Ferrari was excellent. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. I mean, there's a thousand of movies in that series. That's the point. What do you mean in that series? Is that not a uh, Fast and Furious movie? No. Oh, I thought it was. I don't know why I thought it was. No. <laughs> Anytime I see a car movie and one of those guys, oh my I'm just gosh. Like, oh, no, be, no, 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 a, no, no, no. Oh, producer Mark, you silly man. No. No, right. no, no, no. Dude, you you and the missus, Ford versus Ferrari, it's it's Christian Bale and Matt Damon, and it's excellent. It's huh? a really good movie. I'll like, have to add will, it to the list. Yeah, no, no. If you guys want to sit down, I'm gonna watch on your wreck, I'm gonna watch uh the uncut gems. Oh, that's fantastic. Which people have told me is really, really good. So I'm, I'm going to watch that one. But, but Ford versus Ferrari. I'm actually probably going to watch Uncut Gems tonight. But Ford versus Ferrari, for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's... I, I don't... I'm not, a, I'm not super into cars, so I didn't think I would... It doesn't... It's just a great movie. It's really well done. I mean, I think that Christian Bale is one of the best living actors out there. Uh, he's incredible. And you see him in movie after movie, and he's just phenomenal. So... But it, you don't want to get in his light, man. They're also cool you an amateur. You ever, remember that when he had the freak out on no. the Terminator Salvation set? You don't remember don't this? The, you don't remember that audio? Uh, yeah, you're, you were probably like, you know, in the fourth grade or something. But it was a long time ago, but it was amazing. Christian Bale, some lighting guy, like stepped into the shop when he was making Terminator Salvation. And he's just like, no, until you're fired, I'm not going to do anything. Like his whole cockney welsh weird accent came out and he flipped out at this and he, and he berated him for like three minutes and somebody released the audio so this is what i tell producer mark he needs to stop berating me or else one day i'm just gonna release the audio and you you guys don't even hear what happens off the air <laughs> <laughs> yep yep all right on that note roll call you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast All right, we kick it off with Mike, who writes, Buck, we're in a fog of war situation. Lots of news pouring in, but not many verified facts. It's a lot to process. I think Trump's task force is doing a good job as more is learned. I'm glad they're willing to adjust course. Not following blindly, shields high with situational awareness. Yeah, I, I also think that they're willing to make choices and, and distinctions along the way. I think that's a good thing. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that they're doing their best. I think government hasn't exactly covered itself in glory so far in general. I'm not just talking about the Trump administration. I think just look around the world. right? We, we just weren't prepared for this. And anyone who says otherwise, I think, is, is kind of living in a happy land. It's just not true. Governments were not ready for this. Greg. Hey, Buck. I was one of the people that downplayed this virus early on, but now I realize it's really bad. My only hope now is that they find some way to treat it. I live in Denver. We're on the lockdown, but life has carried on normal for me recently because I'm a truck driver. But now I was possibly exposed to someone that maybe was infected, so I can't even see my lady friend now. So I'm extremely upset and mad about it. But thank God I still have you to listen to Shields High. Well, Greg, God bless you, man. You'll be all right. You'll make it through. I know that the quarantine period is just is stinks. But chances are, even if you, were, you saw somebody, the odds are in your favor that you didn't even contract it and you'll be fine. And the odds are overwhelmingly in your favor. If you contracted it, you'll still be fine. So remember, the odds are definitely 
on your side here across the board. But I, I hear you, man. Look, I, I didn't think it was going to be that bad because I listened to the people that I'm supposed to be able to trust to tell me how bad it's going to be. And I don't really know very many people at all. I mean, I can think of a few on the Internet who and, and how many of them are are, you know, catastrophists who are saying that we were about to go to war with Iran or we, you know, the Kurdish genocide was going to happen in Syria or, you know, we're about to go to war with North Korea. And like so they just take the most negative possible view of every current event. And this time around, it just so happened that they were right. You know, instead of they had some analytic insight that the rest of us were lacking. So, yeah, that's that's where it is. Zach, Buck, could you do a deep dive on the Chinese Communist Party on one of the shows? I think that would be great. Keep up the good work. Shields high. Um, A deep dive would be would be interesting, would be worthwhile, I think, if people appreciate that. That's probably more of a podcast that we would do than a. Uh, something we do on the radio because I, th- I think that some of our, our stations it's just you got to remember the show is, is airing on over 120 radio stations and I got to make sure that our all of our affiliates uh, approve of the the general content theme and vibe and all that so we'll probably do that on a podcast you're in the freedom hut this is the Buck Sexton show podcast Hey, Buck, I just want to provide a glimmer of hope to you in this bleak COVID world. I'm a registered nurse at a local hospital, and my husband is a doctor. Every day he gets updates. Our ICU has been packed, and we do have several positive and rule-out COVID patients. In the next few weeks since we started receiving critical COVID patients, they've all received Plaquenil, an easier way of saying hydroxychloroquine, and one of the monoclonal antibody meds. Today he gave me the news I needed to hear. Two patients have been extubated, zero deaths. Now, there have been some deaths in our area, but not at our hospital. I know there will be deaths sooner or later, but I feel like it's a major accomplishment since we haven't lost a single patient since this started. I'm hopeful about the uh, Plaquenil, and even though one of my colleagues had tested positive and I myself am awaiting test results, I am hopeful. Like you said, the experts have been wrong. They really are always wrong. I need to point out also many patients are sent home to recover as their symptoms are mild. NYC is bad because every normal day is a war zone at your hospitals and they're completely overwhelmed. Well, Aaron, I really appreciate the perspective of somebody that's dealing with this and also the fact that your husband's an MD. So you guys, between the two, you have a lot of of knowledge to bring to this discussion. And that's very, very worthwhile right now. And I hope that the procedures that people are going through and I, I hope that the uh, the way that we're trying to get these treatments out there is going to be uh, successful, you know, meaning that I, I hope that we find out that this is what we need to beat this thing. And within the next few weeks, my understanding is we'll have a much better sense of that. So, yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Aaron. I don't know what local hospital or you know, what area you're in. I'm curious. Write it and tell us just you're obviously not in New York, but I'm wondering where you are. If you don't mind letting us know, that would be uh, that would be great. So let's see here. Um, trying to find more of the roll call. And to that end, I want to go. I'm going to make sure that we bring in. I feel like sometimes I favor the uh, the inbox on the Facebook just because it's so much easier. But now I'm going to turn us to here's a fun one on Instagram. 
Carolyn writes in, thinking about you in New York, I wish it was different and we were listening to the usual news in the primaries, missing the daily entertainment. Oh, Carolyn, uh, look, I, I hear you on all that. Uh, it's, um, it's, I wish I could do more fun stuff here on the show. It's just really, there's no, there's no news that you can talk about right now that's anything other than what, what we're dealing with. When we're in a, I mean, think about it this way. The economy has shut down, but news has also shut down except about the virus there's really no other news that anyone's collecting or gathering we're all staying at home so there's not really much else going on um somebody who writes in saying i don't have a name for this one but the united states as a whole is destroying my local lock then we only have 24 confirmed cases in in columbus georgia a hundred some people uh a hundred someone people as people interest but have not tested positive we are second largest city in Georgia. My family owns a gas station. Our sales are down. Uh, we have reduced staff hours, but have not let go of anyone. Shields high. We will overcome this because we are the United States of America. Well, thank you. We will overcome this. Shields high. And I appreciate hearing from you. Um, this comes from a. Uh, well, I, I, I don't I don't want to say their names on Instagram because that might be a, that's identifying. And, and I don't follow some of these people. But this one came in as well. So you'll at least know this one. Uh, Buck, I wanted to reach out and wish you and producer Mark good vibes as you and your families are at the epicenter of this pandemic for the American people. I appreciate and enjoy the fact the show is still being produced even in drastic times. Your show voice is one of the shows that opened my thoughts and led me back to conservatism. I am curious your opinion on a thought I had a while, list, a while back listening to your show. As an American citizen, should we be concerned about the power of the federal government being able to just shut everything down? This time it was warranted, but in the future, does this set the precedent for the government to just shut down business and industries they don't agree with? Is there a way back for us to, uh, to go back from this precedent so that it doesn't happen for political reasons? I appreciate the show. Continue fighting the good fight. Um, thank you, my friend, that I don't have your name up here, but you'll know if you're listening to the show. Um, yeah, I, I am very worried about that. and I, I would think it's almost a, almost a certainty right now. Almost a certainty. So that the government will abuse the power that it, it currently has. That's what I really think is going to happen. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. More roll call here. And remember, I was reading some Instagram messages before. If you don't, please follow on Instagram, Buck Sexton. Uh, we're going to be doing more and more there. And Mark, should we get people to go on the website yet? Is the website ready for primetime? Yeah, absolutely. BuckSexton.com. We're having uh, new content every day. More and more is coming out. There we go. BuckSexton.com. Please do join in on that. We would love to uh, have you guys checking out the site. There's a lot of stuff there. We're going to be building it out even more. You know, add it to your bookmarks. Check in. We got content going up, show stuff. My Twitter feeds, uh, I think, also pops up there. So good things. Benjamin Shields High from West Texas. San Angelo is a small town of 100,000 that is lucky to not be connected to any interstate highways. We are about the middle of nowhere, West Texas, as you can imagine. We have 10 confirmed cases of the virus in the local hospital as I'm writing this, but are faring much better than Odessa or Midland for the moment. All the parks and public areas have been closed. School let out for spring break on March 9th and never reopened. We've been self-quarantining since St. Patrick's Day for the majority of the city voluntarily. They have drive-through testing stations at local hospitals and churches. Bars and restaurants all have either delivery or curbside service. 
We have to wait to get in the grocery store as the line has taped standing points six feet from each other. The wait to get in the grocery store varies about 15 minutes to an hour, depending on the time of day. When the governor of Texas came down with an executive order for voluntary city shutdown of non-essential, ser- non-essential services, everyone panicked and began buying up all the food and toilet paper. Speaking of which, the TP has been mostly off the shelves everywhere except Major Dollar General or Sam's Club for the 15 minutes after they unload the pallet. For the most part, life goes on, though. A lot of our economy is based on ranching and industrial services, which continue unabated, although you'll see more people wearing disposable gloves or the random face mask. I work for a utility company that finds and repairs gas leaks, so we're considered essential services, although they've cut overtime off. We've been given a special letter and identification from corporate to show law enforcement we're working to fix natural gas leaks in case it really hits the fan they start shutting down everything. But my corporate, head co- uh, corporate headquarters in Dallas uh, is in Dallas, and it's a different world out here. The worst part is the oil rigs are shutting down due to the price of oil flatlining. Besides good fellow AFB, the oil industry is a major source of income for our local economy. I'm getting requests for work a lot more often now. Oil field supply stores are worried about staying in business, and all the high-dollar trucks and toys are on the local Facebook markets for cheap. Um, we're not too worried about the virus, even with 10 people in town who have it. Take care of yourself. Best of luck to you in New York. My wife is a city woman who hated living in the middle of nowhere until the pandemic hit. Who knew this whole quarantine thing could make her a country girl all of a sudden? It's funny like that in life. Always cook your steaks medium rare. Take care. Shields high. Ben. Ben, thank you so much for the update from uh, from Texas, man. I, I'm glad San Angelo, Texas, uh, West Texas, that is. I really appreciate it. That's where one of my favorite shows, Friday Night Lights, is supposed to have taken place. So uh, thank you very much. And, and that's what I need. I need to know what it's like in other places. I'm, I'm surprised that they've gone to those extremes of shutdown, even in West Texas. But that just goes to show you how seriously the whole country is taking this. Karen writes in with regard to the swoop. Hey, Buck, great idea to have the mystery lady cut your hair. Even professional hairdressers don't usually try to cut their own. Order some scissors specifically made for haircutting. You'll probably need to spend 100 bucks for a decent pair, but it will make a big difference. First world problems. Well, Karen, if you follow me on Facebook or on Instagram, you will see that I have, in fact, purchased uh, some high-end shears and uh, also a thinning, thinning scissors or whatever. So, and I have clippers. So if things go really bad, the clippers are the fallback. So I might, I might do this. The, the thing is, I don't know if we want to try to do this. I, I think I'm going to try to cut my hair just normally or, or have the mystery lady cut my hair. But I also think if it goes badly and I'm going to just shave it down with clippers, I think I got to do that live stream. I think I got to live stream the head shaving, basically, if that's what's going to happen. I'm not going to shave it all off. Bruce or Mark, what what level is it? Are you at like a, 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 you know, a half inch, a quarter inch on the clippers? How do you do that? I think you go with like a number four. Number four. Yeah. I don't know what that is in inches, but, you know, all the, all the, all the little uh, guards are numbered. Right, right, right. Four. So yeah. you, you go with a four. Yeah. yeah. So maybe I do like a five, you know, maybe I'd, Mark and I would be brothers. Maybe start out with like an eight buck. Yeah. Huh. Maybe start out with like an eight. I could do this. If I'm going to do it, though, if I'm going to shear the locks, I got to do it on video. Yeah. Uh, Bill writes uh, here in Denver. Buck, answering your call for a status update from Denver, Colorado. I'm a 65 year old project manager in the construction industry. Iron workers, to be exact. We are still hard at work doing what we can to shed light on how this whole entire situation may be affecting the economy. This may be an indicator of our recovery chances. Orders for bids for new construction and multifamily construction has not slowed one bit. 
We're still making deadlines and scheduling more. Iron strong. Oh, God bless, man. I just recently started listening to you as I do. Uh, I do put in many hours at home as possible. My wife has COPD, so I have to be as careful as I can be. It concerns us both. We understand the alternative. For your reading pleasure, have you ever read any Joel Rosenberg? I recommend starting with the J.B. Collins trilogy, Shields High and an Iron Sword. I like, I like this guy, Bill. Well, Bill, God bless, and thank you so much for writing in. It's great. We have such a, a, wonderful, uh, a wonderful group of, of Team Buck listeners out in the Denver area, and we really uh, appreciate our, our Denver affiliate. So uh, it's great that you're listening. I think you're listening on the affiliate. You might be a podcast listener, but either way, it's great. Um, I've, never heard, I've never heard of this uh, Joel Rosenberg author. Never heard of, so I'd have to go check that one out. But I, I thank you for the... Uh, I thank you for the recommendation. Here's a fun one. Ona writes, how did you and producer Mark meet? Your personalities are polar opposites. I love your show. I'm old enough to be your mother. My youngest is 39. Thanks for all you do. Praying for your safety and God's mercy on your city. Shields high. I'm going to leave that to producer Mark. Producer Mark, how did we meet? Uh, well, it was actually producer John. Uh, if you remember him from, uh, I guess it's been over a year since he's been around. Uh, producer John was my first forever and listening. You guys will remember original Team Buck Squad. He was my board op when I started radio eight years ago. Yeah, well, uh, I worked with him uh, at another station, and uh, he recommended me, and here I am. There we go. Buck liked me enough to hire me, I guess. Yep, that's how it went. He showed up. I was like, yeah, I was like, you want to do this job? He's like, do I want to do this job? You want me to do this job? And I was like, ooh, salty. Okay, let's go for it. Yeah, that's, that's how really, it went, sure. It's not really how it went, but it's pretty much, it's pretty close. That's that, I think that should just be the story. Yeah, you know? we'll just call that the story. You know, it's like when people meet on Match.com and they're like, friends at a party, you know, it's like, our story is like, producer Mark was like, you know you want to hire me, and I was like, yes, sir. That's how we went. So, uh, I'll take it. But yeah, no, it's actually, produced, it, is, it is a real story, and that uh, producer John, who I've known now for almost a decade, who was my very, very first board op on the Saturday Buck Sexton show when people were like, do you really think you can do radio? And I was like, yes. I was like the little, the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. Uh, and we had a great time on those Saturday shows. We had such a, uh, such a close connection with that audience. And I had the whole week to think about whatever I wanted to say. We did all kinds of wild stuff. It was fun. If by wild, I mean, you know, talking about uh, ancient history and, Things like that. A lot of political philosophy. We, we did different, a different kind of show in that regard. Uh, but yeah, that's how I met Mark. So, uh, you know, if Mark, Mark came highly recommended by producer John and everyone loves producer John. So now everyone loves producer Mark. Isn't that, isn't that nice how that yeah, works? I owe him my livelihood. Yeah. Kathleen. Hey, Buck and Mark. Thank you for the podcast. I hope you and yours stay well. I had this weird idea. Do you think it's possible that China has the cure or vaccine for the virus? and has allowed it to spread worldwide in order to take control of the world. Is that their goal? Best wishes to all the freedom hunters. Um, Kathleen. Uh, uh, no, I don't think that China has the vaccine for this. Um, I, I think that they're lying about being the reason that we're all dealing with this now. In fact, I, I know that they're, I mean, based on all the information we have, we know that they're lying about it. But I did say that you can imagine how much uh, damage somebody could do uh, how much damage somebody could do if they wanted to do, you know, if they had developed a virus and they could release it quietly and then they come up with the vaccine first. In fact, they already have stockpiles. They could even make it like, oh, we're the good guys. We'll get you guys vaccine as soon as we've vaccinated our population. You know, just don't worry about it. You know, think about what that would do to your, your competitor. 
even if you only even if you uh, only held back giving them the vaccine for three months or something. Right. I mean, look, I know it's a little conspiratorial and everything, but no, I don't think China has the vaccine. Um, but it is interesting to think about what the long term implications are for a biological warfare. Now that we see that this kind of uh, this kind of an outbreak can bring a society to its knees. And it's the truth. Nicholas Haybuck, writing from Colorado, we've been on state-mandated lockdown since March 24th. People are in good spirit and seem optimistic, and I've been able to continue working doing food delivery. Oh, man, thank you, Nicholas. We need people doing that. However, I'm concerned that almost no one is willing to question the government's actions so long as they do it under the guise that it is saving lives. Every day I see the media and state governments stir up a little more fear, making people more than willing to sacrifice their freedoms for some security that is anything but certain. As you have mentioned, this point of view is considered inhumane, and I myself have been chastised for making this point. For me, a libertarian, it is heartbreaking to see our rights so easily taken away and done so to overwhelming applause. Maintaining this belief has been difficult for me. I don't want anyone to suffer illness or worse, die. But at the end of the day, I still believe in individual liberty above all else. Your show reminds me I'm not alone in this belief. We will get through this together. Shields high. Nick. Yeah. Um, uh, my friend, I, I appreciate you sharing the, the, this point of view with me and um, people are, it's, we, we like to think of ourselves as, you know, there's the live free or die state, right? We like to think of ourselves as a live free or die country. Mm-mm. Increasingly, we are, uh, whatever we have to do to make sure there's, you know, I just want, as long as I got groceries and a warm bed and you know, everyone just kind of says, all right, you know, we're just going along with it. Not a lot. I mean, I, I, I'm not even saying there needs to be pushback or disobedience or anything to the government right now. I'm just saying, can we... Can we like ask for some explanation, some justification here? Or is that no, that's that makes you that makes you a bad person. Oh, OK. Well, then in that case, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a bad person. I'm, I'm looking forward to when people explain to me uh, why we shouldn't lock down every year for a month or two during the flu, which kills at its height sometimes, you know, hundreds of people a day across the country. I'm not saying this is the flu. This is much worse than the flu. But but the, the, the principle that we're working under under here is anything Anything to try to lock this thing down. Well, whatever we got to do, we'll do anything. Okay, well, uh, that's never been our approach to dealing with disease before. This is new. So I just want to know why we're, we're having this new approach. My friends, I'm going to do this. I'm hoping you're all going to do it too. Give yourself some relaxation time this weekend. Bring it all down. You know, put some Kenny G on, take a hot bath, drink some Merlot, you know, producer Mark style. This is what you should be doing over the weekend relax yourself take care of yourself we'll be in this fight together till the end until victory until then shields high